Hi, this is John, and today on Theocast, we're going to be looking at a command from Jesus in John 17, where he says, I didn't take you out of the world, but I left you in the world for a specific mission. And in this mission, Jesus also makes a request to the Father for protection. And if you don't know what that request is, you might think it's to keep us safe or to keep us healthy or to keep us from suffering, but that's actually not what Jesus asked for. It's specifically connected to the mission of the Christian. Justin and I are going to talk about this request that Jesus makes to the Father and also what is the mission of the Christian. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Today, our hosts are Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church in the beautiful state of North Carolina, specifically in Asheville, and myself, John Moffat, pastor of Grace Reformed Church just south of Nashville in Spring Hill, Tennessee. And Jimmy Bueller, who is the pastor of Christ Community Church in Wilmer, Minnesota, is not with us today. He is uh, giving out finals to his students. He will be joining us next week. We miss you, brother. And uh, the conversation will only be three-fourths as good. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Two, two-thirds. Two-thirds. There we yeah, go. Yeah, we do. Mi- we miss you, Jimmy. Yeah, yes, we do. So, hey, JP, what's, uh, what's going on in your neck of the literally woods? You've got woods out there. We do, we do have woods out here. We have mountains and <laughs> bears and all those kinds of things. Yeah, beautiful um, man. Yeah, I was just the sitting, fall in Asheville, maybe yeah, arguably the fall in Asheville might be one of the most beautiful places in the world. I mean, I think arguably. Yeah, yeah. I, I, people come from all over the place to yeah. to see the leaves and the fall colors and all of that. It is pretty here in the fall. Um, now I was sitting thinking. I'm glad you're not a math teacher, John. With the uh, the fractional work that you did there just a minute ago. <laughs> on the, the three quarters versus two thirds and everything else. As, I'm like, man, as soon as I said, um, it, I was like, you know, yeah, that's wrong. This is why, uh, <laughs> this is why when I'm helping a guy who's finishing my basement, he does the tape measure right. and I just carry the go. wood. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust you yet to do that. Um, yeah, a lot going on in my neck of the woods. It, uh, it's a weird winter here. Weather wise, it's mild right now. And that makes yeah. me think that February and March is going to be intense, but that really is not the point of, of much of anything. We don't need to talk about the weather right now. As far as the life of our local church, even Covenant Baptist Church here um, on the south side of Asheville, we have been meeting in a YMCA for a while, and we're really up against space issues mm-hmm. and other things. The Y is now open at 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, this particular facility, so that's causing all kinds of conflicts and so it's pretty pressing our need for a larger space and a different space and so as any church planner understands and would sympathize with I'm in the throes along with some of the other some of the other folks at church I'm in the throes of really looking hard for a space to meet in and we are pursuing potentially trying to lease a space that we would have Monday through Sunday you know 24/7 that would be you know, a calculated risk financially in the short term, but we think would be really good for the growth of our church and the impact of our church in the community over the long term. And so did a facility tour, walked through with some guys from my church, one of whom is a contractor, even this morning. And we're trying to think about upfit costs to a potential facility and all of those fun kinds of things is going on in my, my life and world, in addition <laughs> to just normal preaching, teaching, pastoral care concerns and stuff. So 
uh, feel like life in the plate is pretty full at the moment. But I know we're going to pivot to what we're talking about today. And I'm going to go ahead and start segueing us there. And then you jump on this at whatever point you want. So we're looking for this bigger space for our church. We're looking to be able to upfit it so that it's a nice looking space, so that it's an inviting and welcoming place to be where we can make just being there a good experience for people. In addition to you know preaching the word and and coming to the table and singing and praying and all those kinds of things, we want it to be a nice space to be in. And we're not doing that because we're just simply seeking comfort or aesthetics or whatever for their own sake. We're doing it because we really do think that it will benefit our local church, it will help our church grow, and it will allow us to do ministry and to do it well and effectively in our community. And I think that that's a nice sort of softball and and transition towards our conversation topic for today about just the mission that we're all on as Christians and what we're to be pursuing in this life. And I'm going to kick it over to you, bro, because I know that that you may be able to introduce it more specifically than that. Yeah, so I preached a sermon recently on John 17, 15 through 19 at my church, and I told my wife it was probably one of the most difficult sermons to prepare for only because of how close to home it really does come. Even someone yeah. who has been exposing pietism, talking about legalism for years now, uh, it's, it's, um, it's humbling to see how the gospel can still just wipe the floor with you and expose Absolutely. your heart and yeah. expose just how a broken and bonkers, as someone just recently said to me, we really are. And so in John 17, Jesus is, is finishing up his earthly ministry. It's the last intimate conversation he's having with his disciples. He's praying publicly in front of them to the Father for them to hear. And in this conversation, he makes um, several requests. And one of the requests towards the end of his prayer, which is in verse 15, he says specifically, you know, I'm about to leave the world. I'm, I'm going to go away. I'm going to sit at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus could have requested a number of things for us. And I would say, if I were to ask you, what is it, without reading the verse, and if you don't know the verse, what is it that Jesus made a specific request to the Father for you? And people would be convinced that Jesus prayed for our safety. He prayed for our well-being or he prayed for our health. I mean, there could be all kinds of things that would come out. And what's fascinating is what Jesus actually asks for is this. It says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, which is an interesting request. Uh, And specifically, if you think about what what, why is it so important for Jesus to make this request? Well, it's, it's directly connected to the following verses. Because in the following verses, like in verse uh, 18, he says, I sent you, I'm sorry, as you sent me into the world, so have I sent you into the world. Well, why was Jesus sent into yeah. the world? Well, he tells us in Luke, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. Yeah. That's, that was the whole mission I've, of Jesus I've coming. Come to, I've come to call sinners, right? Not the righteous. Right. I've come for the sick. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. Well, what is what is the one force or one you know being that has the most success in distracting believers away from what it is that empowers them to accomplish this mission? Because what empowers Christians to actually advance the gospel and preach the gospel is the is their faith 
Right? You aren't going to pursue something you don't believe in. And Satan is described as as two things. One, he's called our accuser. So he's going to come after right. us with our sin. The great accuser the of the brethren. Is, yep. That's right. The second thing he's described as is the father of all lies. So right. he's going to lie to you to get you to believe something other than you are safe and secure with the father. And then he's going to come sure. after you when you do fail and make you so discouraged that you don't trust in the forgiveness of your father. And so what does Jesus say? The one thing that can distract these poor, dear people off their mission is Satan. And before this, if you back up uh, the, the the verse before that, he says, he warns his disciples. He says, gentlemen, the world hated me because of my mission of who I am and, and the righteousness that I bring and the message that I have. And if they hated me, they're also going to hate you. And then, of course, Paul picks up on this in Philippians one twenty nine and says, it's not only been granted to you to believe, but also to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. And right. Jesus does not say, Father, keep them from suffering, keep them from pain, keep them from, he doesn't even yeah. say keep them from death. Uh, Paul even says we are going to suffer unto death. You're, you're sure. going to suffer even death for the sake of the gospel. So today's conversation is really about how in the Christian life, in the modern Christian community, what, what's being written and what we focus our attention on week in and week out seems to be the opposite of what Jesus makes the request here. In other words, we do sure. not focus in on, okay, I need to make sure that I'm staying grounded in the gospel and that I'm staying away from, because he specifically says to his disciples in verse 16, they, disciples, are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And what he means by that is the attitude and the actions and the pursuits of the world, you aren't part of that anymore because you have a new home and you have a new hope. And that hope and home is what guards what you are which is otherly. You're, you're outside of this world. A great another example of this is Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and following. Just read it because Paul describes the unregenerate person who is in the world. They are a pursuer of the flesh. They are obedient to the laws of Satan. Right. I mean, it's, it's very obvious. So it's not that we're not in the world as far as monastery goes, like we're separating ourselves physically. He's talking about a spiritual and attitude position of spiritually, right. your hope is somewhere else. And because of that, your attitude is something different than the world. And so within just a few verses, Jesus creates this mission and what, what matters to the mission and in, in essence removes, I mean, just simplifies the Christian life. The Christian life is about pursuing what it is that Jesus came here to pursue. And that is accomplished, which is, uh, I'm just going to set this all up, JP, and we'll, we'll, we'll pull it apart. The way in which this is accomplished is through the protection of the Father from Satan and also the Father sanctifying, uh, another word for separating, our attitude and hearts away from that of the world. Setting apart. Verse 17. That's right. Verse 17, which is sanctify them in the truth, and then Jesus clarifies, just in case there's any confusion, your word is truth, right? When we think of sanctification normally here, we think of progress and holiness, I believe right. in Morality. context, Jesus yeah. just, that's right. Jesus just said, you're not of this world. And the way we're going to separate you out of the attitude of the world is through the word of God. So the word of God well, is it's, designed. It's the kind of renewing your mind idea, you know, like in Romans exactly 12. Right. Right. Exactly right. So that's kind of the setup of what we want to talk about today and uh, where we want to go with this. So JP, what's your, what's your initial thought and uh, response to all this? I want to add one small thing and then I'll talk yeah. about this 
sort of a pan back broad perspective. So you've, you've already talked about what Jesus is praying for is essentially for the faith of his followers that God would keep and protect them from Satan, uh, the great accuser, the great liar, the one who takes your failure and then just piles it on you, um, causing you to doubt God's love, God's favor, all of those things. And also he's praying that they would be set apart, as you've already said, through the word, through like the renewing of our minds, according to God's word, so that we would think that way, not as the world does. But then also he immediately is going to go into praying for the unity of believers in the church, which is not insignificant in this. And so the the mission and what what we're being called to and what Jesus is praying for us is for our faith, for us to be set apart according to God's word, and then for also for us to be unified as the body of Christ in the world as we're going about doing these things. And that's a really, really beautiful thing to think about, you know, our Lord praying for us. And as you and I were talking about this a little bit before we hit record, my big initial thought is that so much of what we talk about on Theocast, about pietism and things related to it, we're making a distinction between a confessional biblical perspective, which is always outwardly oriented, versus a pietistic perspective, which is always inwardly oriented. And so I'll unpack right. that for just a moment. The, the confessional biblical perspective is that we are always looking outside of ourselves for our salvation, for our righteousness and justification. Namely, we're looking to Christ to save what's wrong in us. But we're also outwardly oriented in that we are concerned primarily with loving God and loving neighbor. The pietistic perspective inevitably boomerangs everything back around to us somehow, where we become hyper-focused on what's going on inside of us. We're concerned about the, the strength and quality of our faith, perhaps. We're concerned about our transformation and progression in the Christian life. Am I growing in my sanctification, which for most people just means, am I growing in my morality? Uh, we're very concerned about our circumstances often. Even when we talk about good things like evangelism, we usually are more concerned with how we're doing. Am I doing it well? Right. Am I doing yeah. it enough? And all the rest. And it's just a very different perspective than what Jesus clearly has in view here as he's praying for us clearly to live an outwardly oriented life, loving God and loving neighbor in the context of the church as we seek to accomplish the mission of the church, which is to call sinners to repentance and to call those who are sick to the one who can make them well and to seek and save the lost through the proclamation of the gospel. And yeah, that's my initial big take, man, is that outwardly oriented versus inwardly oriented dichotomy and how we tend to get this wrong in, in our church context. Yeah, I would like to kind of break the conversation up into two, two sections just to add on to what you're saying. The first section being the sure. spiritual side of it. So, uh, when when we think about the mission of Jesus, let's compare to what Jesus is focusing the disciples on to what Christians are focused on today, and then let's talk about the physical side of it. So you have the spiritual and the physical side of it, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, if you look at the primary message coming to modern Christians on the broader evangelical scale, it doesn't really matter what denomination you're talking about. Uh, This even seeps into, unfortunately, some Reformed confessional churches can find themselves uh, in this same same boat because uh, pietism is so easily ingrained in our... So you have two You you can be in a confessional context and still be a pietist. That's true. 
Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes the most pietist. Um, so I would say that there's two sides of it. And just to kind of to to put some some branches on the tree you set up here. First of it's assurance. People focus their entire Christian life trying to establish a secure relationship between them and the Father. They are so concerned that they are they are right with God. And I have talked with, I can't tell you how many Theocast listeners and church members at my own church where they would go to bed at night wondering and they would, they would fall into sin and just say, well, a real Christian wouldn't do this. So books and prayer and confession and Bible reading are all focused on, I need to figure out if I'm saved. And they spend years and years of trying to establish. So their heart is unsettled. And because their heart is unsettled, their actions are going to follow that. They aren't going to feel confident in sharing. I can't tell you how many people who struggle with their assurance who don't feel confident in in sharing their faith. How can I share my faith if I too don't know, if if myself, I don't know if I'm saved. And I know that there are people probably listening right here, right now who have had that very thought. Why would I ever share the gospel? If one of my church members said this to me, I just don't feel adequate to share because I often wonder and you can, if you go back, and I would just encourage you to read John 17, or even just John 15 through 17, Jesus very, very clearly gives us an explanation that if the Father is the one who saves you through his power sovereignly, he's also the one who keeps you, and he will never let you go. It's, it's very clear that Jesus is trying to establish for the disciples who, just so you know, he had already warned they're about to fail him. He knows they're going to fail him. And I mean, full on denial, abandon Jesus. And he gives them the full assurance. You will belong to the father, even though you're about to abandon me. Your, your security does not rest in your performance or your level of dedication to me. Your security rests in the fact that you believe me. You have faith. doesn't matter what level of faith you have faith. And the moment someone's freed from this burden, that I have to make sure that I'm doing something to establish my salvation, you can actually then focus on the very mission that Jesus has given you. People can't focus on what we have been left here. Jesus says, I'm not taking you out of the world. I'm leaving you here because I'm leaving you here for this mission. And the one mission these poor people have is not to advance the gospel to the lost. It's to advance the gospel to themselves so they can mm-hmm. find out if they're still lost. It's it's devastating. To, right. to hear of people who struggle in this way. That would be the first one. I have a second one, JP, but I don't, I don't know if you want to add something to that. I want to jump on that for a moment. The reality that you're painting is, I think it is reality and it's accurate, right? So if you're constantly chasing after assurance and you're scrambling and trying to keep your legs under you with respect to your standing before the Lord, am I secure? Am I safe? Am I going to make it to heaven? then it is a crippling reality in every way. It not only does it cripple you in terms of your own thoughts and your own feelings and, and your own experience in following Christ and living in the church and everything else, it will cripple you in terms of living your life on mission in terms of the mission that Christ has described. Because as you already described, John, your, your efforts and your energy and your, your angst, your emotional and mental effort and everything else is going toward doing enough to prove to yourself that you're legitimate versus it being a situation where, no, I am resting in what Christ has done, 
and I'm resting in the love of God and the grace of God shown to me in Christ, which then liberates me to concern myself with loving God and loving neighbor and doing good works for my neighbor's sake, not my own sake. It, it frees me up to be concerned about, about my neighbor, my family, members of the church where I'm, I'm a member, and just people that I come into regular contact with. I can, in fact, be outwardly oriented because I'm not wigging out about my own personal standing before the Lord. And I think it's a great thing to be reminded of, as you already touched on, Jesus is praying these things for his disciples. He is comforting them on his last night that he's on earth, knowing, having told them that they'll deny him and that they're going to scatter. And I'm preaching through Mark's gospel right now, and so recently have been in the section where Jesus predicts the disciples' denial of him and Peter's denial of him and everything else. And it's remarkable that his love toward the disciples changes not at all. In, in, the, in the light of their failure. His grace towards them changes not at all in the light of their failure. He predicts their failure and says, but when I'm raised up, I'm going to go before you to Galilee. Implication, you're going to see me there. You're going to deny me now. You're going to scatter. You know, and Peter, of course, pipes up and says, if, if, even if everybody else does, I won't. And Jesus is just like, oh, Peter, you know, it's going to happen three mm-hmm. times tonight, man. Three times tonight, right? And in Luke's account, we know that Jesus tells Peter that he's prayed for him. And when, you know, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. The grace and compassion and love of Christ is, is astonishing towards those of us who are weak and frail. And that's the comfort. And it frees us because we're safe in Jesus. It frees us to live our lives with an outward focus of loving our neighbor and, and aiming to see people come to Christ and aiming to see the elect come to faith. I mean, that's, that's it, man. Yeah. I would say that so many sermons are geared in this way. So they preach the sermon and then they say, if this isn't true in your life, you should wonder about your salvation. It's not, it's not bolstering. It's not bolstering the faith of a believer. It's constantly just picking at it and digging at it. And so we've said this before, but it's a fear-based reality. Uh, I was thinking about right. this as you were talking, and one of the examples I have in my own personal life is that when I played uh, basketball in high school, I had a coach, and I loved my coach. And they sat every single uh, player down and said, listen, I want you to understand my relationship to you. I want to help you be the best basketball player you could be and the best teammate you could be. Like everything I say and do, I want to make sure that that's what you get. And then thirdly, I want to make sure that you enjoy your time here because it's a game and that's the point of it is to have fun, right? So man, whatever that coach told me to do, I always knew that behind the instructions was love, care, and affection in my best interest. That's, I, I knew it. And so I played my guts out for that coach. I did everything. Mm-hmm. If they said run a mile, I did it and some. I, I just really wanted to, I trusted that if, anyways, example being, I then went to college and played college ball, which by the way, high school ball and college ball are not the same. Wow. They're not. <laughs> we could talk about that six one, six one white guys get crushed in college ball. Um, but I, the coach there, he decided to use a fear tactic. And basically every practice you were trying to impress him and he would determine whether you were going to play or not. And every team member lived in a constant state of fear because it was basically, I want the best guys 
and I'm only going to play the best guys. And so you got to prove to me you're the best guy. And it was more to him about winning and his reputation of winning than it was about the player and making sure the players were improving and they were the best they could be and that we were the best team we could be. And so I had, it changed the attitude. I could see it in the guys and how we practiced guys became individualistic. It came about their scoring. It came about how well sure. they were improving and it completely corrupted the team. And it, it was the, I was the worst experience I'd ever had in playing. I played four years in high school and loved it. I played one year in college and hated it because of the coach. And I think this is what's, this is the two kind of coaches we have going on in Christianity. You have the, you have Christ who's calling people to absolute rest and secu- you have nothing to worry about everything. Yeah. I have your best interest at heart. I've done all of it for you. I need you to rest and I need you to go do this in absolute confidence that all is secure and fine. The other coach that we've been presented is that God's angry at you. If you Mm -hmm. don't do this, God's going to abandon you. If you don't do it exactly how God has said, then your your security and hope is in question. And no wonder people say, man, the Christian life, it's just too hard. It's too complicated. Why why do I want to pursue this? Because God's really got a hammer ready to to pounce on me. We are excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith Versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest. And we, the hosts, put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ, and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance. And you can get this at theocast.org slash primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. And you can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. This sports analogy, I want to pick up on that for a moment. It's generally understood to be the case that when players feel like they have a very short leash, like if I make one mistake in the game, I'm going to be benched. That never does anything good for a player. Never. Whenever a player understands, no, like I'm going to be able to stay in the game and play through some mistakes and all that, and there's some freedom and there's some latitude here, it, it, it frees guys up to just let it loose and play. That's yeah. absolutely true in sports. And you already alluded to something else. Whenever it becomes all about your performance and, and there's too much competition amongst teammates, it destroys the cohesiveness and the chemistry of a team. It destroys unity. The same is true in the church. So if we feel like, like the, what you used as the illustration of the athletic team and then transitioned it over to the church, if God is in fact this angry taskmaster, he's got the hammer and he's got it raised and he's ready to drop that bad boy on anybody who makes a mistake, then that is a hindrance to actually going and pursuing the mission of the church as a believer. If we know that we're free and secure and we're at peace with God and we're safe, then we are set free, as we've already been alluding to, to go out and love neighbor and be all about the mission of the church because we know that we're okay. But then also the other big thing, Jesus prays a lot for unity in John 17, the unity amongst the the church, amongst the saints. Nothing will destroy unity more than this internal focus on how, how well am I doing? Am I doing well? How am I doing compared to other people? 
How sanctified am I? How much am I growing? How much am I transforming? How much am I getting better? That will destroy the unity of the church because what it produces is self-righteousness and pride and this kind of measuring thing that we do. And it destroys the mission rather than fueling the mission. And that's the great irony of this is that yeah. You think, oh, well, if I'm hyper-motivated to grow individually, then I'm going to be a better part of the church and the team. Wrong. If you are more concerned about, obviously, trusting Christ, but locking arms with the brothers and sisters in the church, and you all together corporately loving your neighbor, and you're taking your eyes off yourself, you're going to be all kinds of more useful. And you'll actually be free, and there will be joy in the task. And right. we could go on and on about this. but. It's well, like Jesus yeah, knew what wanna... he was doing. Seriously. It's like Jesus knew <laughs> yeah. what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> I want to jump on that. It, it is, it is the, the purpose of why you were left here. Jesus says, I left you here to do what I was doing. And yet the very purpose, which is it's, it's an outreaching. So we are to reach out and bring in and care right. for. And the entire Christian life seems to be 95% focused on, I need to be making myself better. So yeah. I need to discipline myself. I need to read more. I need to pray more. It's all about self-growth. And here's just where it comes from, in my opinion, I think, uh, from all the experience that I've had myself growing through this. And it connects to the second part of it is that we as humans seek naturally, like we naturally, a part of our human nature, we seek comfort. Like we want to be comfortable. We want to be uh, safe. We like safety. And then we also like wealth because wealth creates comfortability for us, right? And so here's, here's what's dangerous. Yeah. So we assume two things. We assume that spiritual progress means that we're going to, one, get rid of sin. Sin is horrible because it causes all kinds of uncomfortable circumstances and it causes sure. slavery in us and we hate sin. So progress in Christianity creates freedom out of sin. Secondly, God blesses those who obey. That's, it's, it's ingrained in our mind that if I'm doing well, then God's going to give me a, a good home. He's going to give me a good job and he's going to keep me safe. So what ends mm -hmm. up happening is we pursue what ends up giving us comfort. And here's some examples of this. Let's just think about prayer for a second. When Jesus is praying for his disciples, and even when he's giving them examples the examples, even in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. You're asking for enough to last you today because you got to accomplish the mission today, not tomorrow. And even in that prayer, there's yeah. not a prayer for safety. It's a prayer of keeping you from what? The evil one, the one that can attack you and pull you off of mission. But if you think about the Christian life in most people's perspective, they are constantly praying for health. Lord, I don't like to be sick. I don't want this cancer. I don't want to die. And so they'll spend thousands of dollars on books, learning how to say the right prayer with the right attitude, with the right spiritual level. And if you do these things, then God will answer your prayer. Or wealth, man, people spend so much time praying for the right job, Lord. And, and it's, it's almost like you're not asking for a job. You're asking for this specific job because you know that job will accomplish your mission, which your mission is to be comfortable, or safety. I mean, look, sometimes I laugh about when someone says, you know, we were almost in a car accident and we almost died. You know, we thank the Lord for the safety, but yet you, the person you hit died and they too were Christians. So God kept you safe and not them. I mean, this is ridiculous. As a matter of fact, right. Paul never, Paul never got the memo 
on the prayer of safety, apparently, because the poor guy never found himself in a safe moment. He, I mean, how many times was he shipwrecked? How many times was he beaten? I mean, on top of all of that, a snake bitten. You, I mean, you think God couldn't kept the snake from biting him? <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous. And yet right. Paul understood part of the li- part of life in general was you're going to, this world is broken. It's groaning for Jesus to come back and restore it. Secondly, he understood that he was going to suffer for the sake of the gospel and embraced it and encouraged other Christians to understand, hey, this is part of what we do for Christ. Yet our energy, we spend so much energy making sure that we don't suffer, that we stay wealthy, we stay healthy, and we stay safe. And here's the reason I mention all of that. When our wealth is gone and our health is gone and something bad happens, we look to God and say, God, why did you let that happen? And then we look to ourselves and say, well, maybe God's punishing me because I did something wrong. Because in mm-hmm. our minds, God's supposed to be the one protecting that, and he didn't do it. And now we, now we want to know why. A funny analogy, and then an even more serious comment after that. Talking about our circumstances and, and God's perspective on that, a funny way to talk about it is again, going back to sports, I am always amused by the kind of thinking that's clearly prevalent. Whenever guys, you know, after a victory, like thank God, and whenever coaches will say, you know, all glory to God after a victory, and and then fans of certain teams are just like, oh my goodness, you know, like we were praying and this and that, and like, it's almost like the favor of God was shown to such and such team in their victory. I, I chuckle at that because I'm like, this is absurd on so many levels. Yes, God is sovereign over everything that happens in his world. I absolutely agree. Um, and at the same time, you act like when you, when you talk like that, you act like they're the only Christians in the world play for a certain team. Because I, I, do you not think that there are believers in the other locker room too? Do you not think that there might be believers on the other coaching staff too? What about them? Are they somehow outside of God's favor because they lost the game tonight? Like, give me a break, man. They're playing an atheist school. That's, yeah. Only when you play an atheist school. My goodness, dude. But it's so prevalent. You can see it. It's just kind of interwoven into our thinking in so many ways. It's like, oh, well, God smiled on us and we won. Well, what what about the dudes that are trusting Christ and lost? What about the dude that's trusting Christ and got his leg broken? I mean, my goodness, you know, it, it's just crazy how we talk. And that's just one small illustration of the fact that, you know, there is no such thing as like God's team in college football no. or any other sport. It's stupid, but we talk like that so often. You were talking about our comfort and how we're so often motivated by our comfort. And you mentioned this in a kind of drive-by way, even in talking about how we think about fighting sin. Just a comment on that. We do often think about our battle against sin from the perspective of comfort. And now you and I are the first to say that if that sin is terrible for your life and that fleeing from sin and not sinning will do all kinds of good for your life. And the Bible right. talks like that. But we also want to point out biblically that you fight sin and pursue obedience and good works, not primarily for your own benefit. You are biblically to pursue good works and obedience because it does honor God and it benefits your neighbor, you know? Right. And so we, are, we ought to be motivated in fighting sin, not primarily by our own comfort so that we feel better about ourselves, but we fight sin so that my neighbor, my wife, my kids, my 
fellow church members, my coworkers, my you know, friends at the gym or whatever, so that they might benefit from my life, you know, and thereby give glory to God. That ought to be the motivation. Right. And anyway, right. it's just a thought. Like we are so inwardly focused in so many of the things, in so many of the arenas of the Christian life. And and we're motivated by self-interest all the time, which is just a an upside down kind of way of thinking about about this. Yep. Yeah, so pietism, as we've mentioned multiple times on this podcast, what pietism does is it causes you to be introspective and naturally turns you into what I would say a narcissistic right. Christian. You are, become self-love. Yeah, narcissistic, yeah, absolutely. About, yeah. And and because of that, that's where it it's going to naturally bleed into keep me safe, keep me wealthy, keep me healthy. Well, and, and it breeds um, it breeds sometimes contempt and frustration towards your fellow believer. That's something right. that's it's clearly bad. When you're so concerned with yourself, you a lot of times get frustrated with other people that you don't think meet the standard that you have somehow achieved, or yep. they're an inconvenience to you, and therefore you're frustrated all the time. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. One of the questions I received after my sermon was, well, what about these Old Testament passages that talk about the God saving or protecting protecting his people? And my, sure. my answer to that is you, you have to understand the context that the people of God during that time were a nation that he was promising to protect right. that nation. A geopolitical from other reality, yeah. Right. But there are times where, like, David is talking about his protection, and he isn't speaking of a physical protection. He is speaking of a spiritual protection. No doubt. Uh, that that he will not be, you know, his sins are cast as far as the east is from the west is a great example, that right. he is not going to be judged, and he is safely protected in that because of God, not because of his performance to the law. His law, the law will not keep him safe. But God is the one who keeps him safe. So, uh, on top of this, I do want to bring some clarity that Justin and I were before our our pre talk. Um, I want to be very clear that pursuing a job or pursuing money or comfortability is not a sin. Okay, no, uh, that that's ridiculous to think that that's the case. What we're talking about is if if the if we are safe and secure in our one standing before God. And understanding our progression. Uh, uh, let me go back to John here when he says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. He means separate them for the purpose of the ministry or the purpose of the mission. And the way in which that is accomplished is God is the one who does it. And he does it through his word, right? So the preaching of the word received, the sacraments received, uh, table and prayer, uh, table and prayer and, and, and uh, baptism so we're receiving God's word, and he uses that to separate us from the world so we stay focused on what? Not appeasing God or pleasing God. Jesus is saying, I'm separating you from the world so you right. stay on mission. You stay on mission. Right. Well, for me to pursue a job that provides well for my home and provide well for my church, which is part of the mission, there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, right. guys who go out and make millions of That's dollars good. and they have— they have this talent or they have this the ability to go make millions of dollars. There's nothing wrong with doing that. If they are doing it because they think that money will give them happiness and will give them security and wealth, then they're in a world of disappointment because they're still going to die. They're going to lose all of their money and nothing you do in this world. You can live in a bunker with all the supplies you could need for a lifetime and an earthquake will happen and collapse on you. It doesn't matter how big that be. A sinkhole. 
I mean, That's there's right. no way to protect yourself from this world. You could get a disease and die. I mean, there's, you could get cancer and die in your blood. There's nothing that's going to keep you safe. So trying to keep your wealth and your health and your safety is, is, is futile. This is why God does not, or Jesus does not ask the Father to keep us safe because he right. didn't promise that. He promised us a new world, and in that new world, yeah. we'll be safe. Secondly, there's nothing wrong exactly. with— you know, Justin and I both have very comfortable homes and we are constantly trying to keep our homes up and well and clean and, and nice because one, we want to make sure that our home is a place to love and care for our family, but also to bring others, the outside world into our home so that we can love and care for them. And if your home can't, right. can't do that because it's distracting, then that, that, yes, of course. So there's nothing wrong with culturally speaking, having nice things. I'm not, this is not a call to be radically abandoning everything that you have and giving it to the church for the sake of the mission. Your home and your family is part of the mission. It's not separate. It's not right. only the church is your mission. You, you you live in the world. So it's part of it. I know JP, you had thoughts right. on that. Yeah, I agree with you. On the, even the home front, I, I know uh, we're very grateful for the home that we have now. And it's a little, it's tight for a family of six. And I have my office in my house and stuff. And so we're in the process of uh, we're under contract on a piece of property and we're hoping to build a house this year that would be a little bit larger that would fit our family better but also it will facilitate a lot more hospitality we'll be able to have people over more frequently and be able to entertain people better it'll be more comfortable for us to be able to do all of that so even as we're thinking about our house and we're not holding ourselves up as some gold standard example or something here but even as we're thinking about our home I'm thinking about it in terms of my wife and children. I want to provide for them in a way that is good for their lives, that will remove unnecessary stress and angst from them. But then I also am thinking, we are also thinking, my wife and I, about how can we use our home to facilitate investment in people, to facilitate you know, inviting, especially people that are uh, maybe even newer to the church or maybe you're just coming to know Christ. How can we invite people into our lives, those kinds of things? And so, yeah, we can, we can do this in a way we can pursue things like houses and jobs and vehicles and the like for our good in this life and at the same time for the purpose of loving our neighbor well. It, it doesn't have to be all about us all the time. And so, right. yeah, do not hear us say that to have nice things is wrong. Do not hear us say that to make money is wrong. Do not hear us say that right. to um, try to have a nice, comfortable home is wrong. John was very clear about all of that. But we can, as believers, use those things and leverage those things in good ways for the sake of the mission of the church. And that's all we're encouraging us to, is to have a perspective that is always thinking about the mission of the church that Christ has given us, which is to seek and save the lost, to proclaim the gospel that God's people might come to faith in him. And so even as I think about my my life, my stuff, my role uh, as a pastor in the church, I'm, I'm always thinking about bringing people into the church, into my home, so that I might shepherd and love them and point them to Christ, lock arms with them so that we might together make this pilgrimage to the celestial city. That's the goal. That's the driver. Yeah, That's I, the ambition. I would even say there's nothing wrong with entertainment and hobbies. Um, I would encourage you Absolutely to not. The, more, yeah. the more you can participate in those as far as when it allows you to interact with other people outside of yourself on a social scale, you should do so. Uh, one of my deacons who's now helps lead worship at our church, the first introduction that I had to him was he got invited to a Super Bowl party 
And he, you know, his friends said, hey, we're going to go hang out at this guy's house. You want to come on over? And he came and we ended up going to lunch the next week. And the next thing I know, he's faithfully coming to church. And so there's nothing wrong with using hobbies and entertainment. You know, so when you hear us, really what we're getting at, we're going to really unfold this a little bit more in our membership podcast. This is a this is a what we call um, an attitude or heart focus that what really matters. The, 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 what I've been left here to do as a follower of Jesus Christ is to find rest in Christ. And the moment I have rest mm-hmm. is then to then take that and give it to other people. It's not to, mm-hmm. it's not to pursue. That's right. Uh, listen, it's not to pursue sanctification. That is part of resting. It's not to pursue um, pleasing God. That's part of resting. Jesus says, listen, I'm leaving you here so that you will find the last sheep. And we're going to we're going to kind of walk through a little bit more in detail on how that looks really happens through the church. It's not an individual like sometimes when we hear when we hear find the lost sheep, we think personal evangelism. I need to be sharing the gospel with everybody that I meet. I need to be street preaching. I need to be putting up billboard signs that that is not what we're talking about, because it's very obvious in the New Testament of the instructions that Paul gives to the the church is the instrument. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just a couple of quick thoughts, John, maybe before we transition. Is that cool? Yep, absolutely. So just picking up on what you were talking about, about having hobbies and um, enjoying things, whether that's, you know, arts, entertainment, you know, fitness, athletics, whatever, pick your thing. It's, It's good to have those kinds of interests because it is a good way for us to engage our neighbor. I meet a number of people through the things that I like and enjoy, um, whether that's, you know, fitness related stuff or music related stuff, or even just the, the food and drink scene here in town. It's amazing how many people you can meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have people at, you know, I mean, dare I say it on Sundays when we take groups of people from our church to breweries here in, in this city where craft beer is a thing, it allows us to meet all kinds of people and have conversations Mm -hmm. and stuff. And so it's points of intersection with neighbor, right? But then one of the things that I think matters too is when we engage in these normal things like arts and culture and and sports and the like, we're living as normal people in the society in which we find ourselves. And that's valuable. Like if we're going to reach the community and we're going to engage people, like Jesus will say, we're in the world, but not of it. He's not saying don't be in the world. Don't engage in things that are here. I mean, God has made the world good, and there are all kinds of things in the common kingdom that are good. And so we engage in that stuff, and we're normal people. And normal people are just a little bit easier to be around. Normal people are more approachable. And so I think one of my exhortations, let me just put it this way, one of my exhortations to our church all the time is love your neighbor and just like be a normal person. Be a normal person who engages others. You know, and, and that sounds crazy to say, but but sometimes in the church, in our context, we almost need to be encouraged that direction. So that's right. A couple of thoughts oh, that's from me, good. man. I, yeah, I think that's super helpful. I mean, in some ways, people have made the connection with the Apostle Paul. Clearly, he didn't flip on the TV and watch the news. Um, he, you know, he mentions a lot of athletic references in his in his and it you know yeah. maybe that was before maybe that was before he was a Christian. That the argument could be. Uh, the I, point of it I was, it was, so. it wasn't offensive for him to use that as an illustration. So clearly he, or soldiers know, and military was, and all the rest, he uses other things that are normal, right. like flesh and blood boots on the ground realities. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we're going to transition over to our premium content, which is our paid uh, total access membership. For those of you that's this first time listening, uh, we use this as a way to help support our ministry and also just provide additional content. You get all of our past episodes, which we have over 200 past episodes. If you add in our premium content, it's over 300 episodes that we have available that, that cover all kinds of cultural and theological and Reformation theology. So you could go and kind of listen to a backlog of that. But we're going to continue this conversation specifically of career and church. How is it, you know, our, how is it do we evangelize? What does it look like according to Scripture? Now that we've kind of set this up, uh, we're going to spend some more time looking at some practical tips on how do you evangelize within the context of a church. So we'll see you guys next week.